If you are able, please stand for the reading of the word. This morning, I'll be reading from Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. It's good to see you here today. You might be curious why we don't have our Advent decorations up, and that's because Advent doesn't technically start until next week. Most years, um, Advent begins the Sunday after Thanksgiving, but that's just luck. Um, this year, uh, we won't begin until next week, and so uh, no Christmas trees yet. And I know that Christmas trees have been up at Target since October. That's not my problem. Uh, and the next time this will happen is 2029, so you have a few years of Christmas right, Advent following Thanksgiving. Uh, today our text is in Jeremiah 29. If you want to turn your Bible there, we're going to be referencing more than just what was read this morning. But I want to use 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 17, as kind of an on-ramp for our text. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he called you to be holy, I'm sorry, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. If you invoke as father the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. You know that you were ransomed from feudal ways inherited from your ancestors. Not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or defect. Then following through him, you have come to trust in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are set on God. I want to be, begin our time today with this statement. I am absolutely convinced that we don't know what it means. In fact, we may have no idea whatsoever what it means to live in reverent fear during our exile. Will you pray with me, please? Mighty God, for this time to be gathered here to worship you, to be encouraged by one another, and to gain a clearer understanding for your deep love for your children, we give you thanks. And as we turn our hearts and our minds to your word, I pray you pour through me the gift of preaching, that I might speak your truth to these, your people. And it's together that the church says, amen. I took a trip uh, a few years ago uh, with Natalie to, to Myanmar, um, which is a small country in Southeast Asia. It's part of the restoration vision that we support uh, a group there um, that provides food for children. 
Um, the trip was fantastic. It was amazing. It was everything that you would want. We were visiting some friends that were doing translation work there. And, and Yangon, which is the capital of Myanmar, is this peculiar city. It's, it's, it's peculiar culture. It's one of those places that uh, McDonald's hasn't got to yet, and uh, Coke is just on the edge of coming into that country. And so it hasn't been affected by kind of the, the consumerism or the, the products of the West. And so everything is, is just different. Um, I love that country, and I love that city. They get their cars from Thailand. Um, and if you know anything about Thailand, they were a former British colony, and so they don't drive on the right like we do. They drive on the left, and so the steering wheel is on the right, the opposite of the way we drive. But uh, I kid you not, on the advice of a wizard in 1970, Myanmar switched driving from the right side of the road to the left side of the road. And so all cars have their steering wheels on the right side, but they drive on the right side of the road. Which means that riding in the front passenger seat of a taxi is terrifying. <laughs> have you ever been to a place where just everything is strange? The smells are different. Uh, you, you're walking through Yangon, you would run across someone that has cut open a durian to, uh, to sell on the street. There are signs on the buses in Yangon that says, you cannot bring durian onto this bus because it stinks so bad. It's like garbage suddenly is edible. Um, and durian's it's an interesting fruit. Uh, and when everything is different, you never really feel at ease. We, we, we got in late to our hotel, and, uh, and we were trying to get rested, and, and the power... In, in Yangon was intermittent. And because air conditioners require steady sources of power, if, if the power dropped from the grid, it would shut off the AC and it would shut the AC off for like 35 minutes because they didn't want the power to fluctuate and to go into low voltage and, and break all their air conditioning. And so in the middle of the night, the power cuts off. We had no idea except for this loud alarm that went off in our room to tell us that the AC had turned off. And so I woke up, and I couldn't fall asleep because in the lobby, there was a TV that was just loudly blaring, loud as possible. And so I, I, we were close to the lobby, and so I, I walk out of the room, and I walk into the lobby, bleary-eyed, blinking from the bright lights of that lobby, and there's nobody in there. And so I reach over, and I turn off the TV and go back to bed. Right when I'm about to wake up again, TV turns back on, full blast, two in the morning, come on. Walk back, out th walk back out there, no one there. This is weird. So I take action in my own hands, and I unplug the TV. <laughs> Go back to bed. Fifteen, ten minutes later, back on, full blast. And now I'm upset. Hair is a mess. In my pajamas, I storm out into that lobby to catch the person that's plugging this TV and turning it back in. And I, I reach over the front desk, and I, I don't know what I was thinking, maybe break the TV this time. I don't, it wasn't clear. I was jet lagged. And I reach over, and I awaken the boy that's sleeping below the lobby desk. And for a minute, I see this world through his eyes. That there is this angry, furious white person yelling at him about this TV. He turns it on because that's the only way that he can fall asleep. Because of the traffic and his, and, and outside of the, the hotel. 
the next day, we had a translator get us a different room. It's what we needed. When everything is different, you really can't be at ease because you can't tell what's safe. From the microbes in the water, mosquitoes that carry malaria, and the fear of getting mugged in an alley. And so I was vigilant. I was always on guard, especially when we visited Cambodia, which has more assault rifles per capita than any other place in the world, including Texas. And so I told my wife, I, I want you to be careful when we walk out of the hotel, because there's some guys on the corner, and they, they're taking too much interest in us. It's making me nervous. And my wife gently said to me with a little bit of laughter, um, Shane, those guys don't want to rob us. They're taxi drivers. They want to give us a ride. And as much as I love that experience of the culture and the exotic foods and the customs and being in a place that seems completely different and all the time is exhausting, it makes you long for home. It makes me long for my own bed. Even eating McDonald's at the Bangkok airport, it made me long for that kind of familiarity. And Peter tells uh, the churches that he is writing to to live out their lives in reverent fear as exiles. Now, these aren't Jewish Christians that are struggling to remain culturally Jewish in a pagan city. Rather, these are Gentile converts trying to live out cruciform lives in the city they grew up in. It's not that their culture has changed. It's that the Christians, who have been shaped by the power of the cross so fundamentally and so profoundly, now feel like aliens in their old neighborhoods. It's believers who have been exiled from their families for their conversion, have now been made family through the story of the cross. And what has become familiar to them, or what it used to be familiar to them, is now repugnant. And they just can't live that way anymore. And I think in some ways we find ourselves sitting in the midst of those churches in Pontus, Cappadocia, Bithynia. Some of us feel like there's been this seismic shift that's happened in our culture in the last 20 years. For others, this is the only thing you've ever known. It's a culture, as culture is just away from our values, when we had the ability to make the rules. And what we're living now is called post-Christendom, or our secularized world. And so in this world, the call to holiness is the call to reverent fear. It's the call to cruciform obedience. And it's not some, achieving some sort of pharisaical moralism that disconnects us from the life around us. But it does mean that we're not in step with the culture around us. Our communities help us see all human relationships through the lens of the cross. And it helps us fight for our marriages, even as we fight in our marriages. And it helps us to live without fear who is elected into power because we know that God is sovereign over all. And we strive to be a place where the stranger is welcomed because Christ welcomed us, even as they find us strange. And they should. This is not the language of self, self, smug, self-righteous moralism that Peter's offering. It's a plea to hang on, to survive in a hostile environment. And we can't understand the worth of our witness until we understand the power of living ex exiles. There's these two converging effects that are happening in American culture right now. It's secularization and postmodern epistemology. And if that sounds like a $5 word, it just means that truth is based more on experience. A truth based in experience is more powerful than truth based in affirmation. And there's a benefit for us in this because we offer experience. 
We know the way to allow people to experience the transcendence of God and the mercy of God and the love of Jesus because we live it out. Everyone wants to create community around shared experiences. Starbucks is spraying me with coffee-flavored perfume so that I am easily identified to other caffeine addicts. And the criteria for legitimacy of communities of shared experience is the degree by which you authentically uh, are differentiated from your neighbor. That's what makes you a more legitimate community. The, different, the more different you are. And the good news is we don't have to be cool. We don't have to be a cool church to have useful purpose in the kingdom of God. And that's a good thing. Because this church is about as uncool as we get. For us, trying to be cool is exhausting. And so instead of trying to chase things that we can't be, we become ourselves. As God has cruciform shaped us. And we live a syncopated life with the rhythm of our city. Kara Powell noted that warm is the new cool. And the solution is to authentically allow the Spirit to transform our community, to bear the fruit that God wills. We live holy lives because we've been ransomed from our former selves. Holiness isn't, isn't following a set of rules that makes us special. Holiness is following a different sort of person, the person that is Jesus, that makes us beautifully strange. And the only way that we can have this cross-shaped life is if we are ruthless and cultivating a cross-shaped heart. Peter chooses exile language here. It's not exodus language. We are not called to flee our culture the way that God led the Israelites out of Egypt. It's not conquest language. We're not called to conquer the culture. God tells us over and over that his kingdom comes through the power of the spirit-changing hearts. The greatest miracle that God performs is the changed heart. And the good news is that he does it all the time. He uses exile language so that we have to live in the tension. We have to stay, but we know it doesn't always feel like home. We feel strange and alien. We live in a time and a culture where the American church is experiencing a near-extinction event. It's already happened in Europe. It's happening to us now. There are more people leaving church now than have come to faith during the Great Awakening, the Depression, and the Billy Graham evangelism era combined. And it's happening to all types of churches, from Catholics to Reformed to Evangelical, Pentecostal, um, Orthodox, all of them. And I was listening to a radio uh, program earlier this week, and it said, it, talked about, it was talking about the Jews in the 1930s. And in the 1930s in, in Germany, Jews had too much hope and not enough fear, as one historian named it. I think we live in the opposite problem. I think we live with too much fear, but not enough hope. And this is especially true in this place, where churches are hanging on, when churches are finding ways to reach our city and reach our world and reach our neighbor. It's happening everywhere. Before Natalie and I were in Abilene, we lived in California, and we lived on a block that debated the date of New Year's with fireworks and Christmas lights. Because the Americans on our block would set off fireworks on January 1st, but those that are from China would set off fireworks in different times of the year. And we would argue, we would debate about what New Year's actually is. 
The, the tech industry there was bringing people from all over the world. My next door neighbor in San Jose had never heard the story of the Good Samaritan. I got to tell him that story over our fence, and it was a joy because it was, it was a wonder to him. And it was a city where it was 45 minutes to the south was the beach, and 45 minutes to the north was San Francisco, and, and Napa and Tahoe and all of those other places weren't very far away. And so when you woke up on Sunday morning, you had to make a decision about what you wanted to do and where you wanted to go. And I have to tell you the truth, if we weren't living out a new kingdom inaugurated through Christ, then we weren't giving them a good reason to stay in the city. And I'm really grateful that I learned how to deal with those questions there. Because Highland is going to begin to facing those questions soon. Peter uses exile language to remind us that even we're at a place that feels foreign and strange, there's no place that we can go that God is not there already. It's the story of Israel and their exile in Babylon, particularly one of the most taken out of context verses in the entire Old Testament. Jeremiah 29, 11, For surely I know the plans for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now my guess is, is that you probably have somewhere in your house a coffee cup or wall art from Mardell's or this well-meaning gift tucked away from your senior blessing from your church that has that verse implanted on it. And my goal today, quite frankly, is to put that verse so much in context of the chapter of 29 that you might be willing to throw it away. Or maybe put it on your office desk. I remember the first time I read this verse. I was in um, Mrs. Charlotte's fourth and fifth grade Bible classroom at the University Church of Christ in Denver, Colorado. The University Church of Christ was a fundamentalist church I grew up in a very, very conservative environment that loved Jesus so completely, it blew my socks off. They loved me deeply. And Miss Charlotte loved me deeply, and she, she didn't have any kids. Uh, she was never married, but she taught fourth and fifth grade for 45 years at this church. And, and she would use her own money to to buy, like, prizes that we could earn if we showed up to class on time and if we memorized verses and if we brought our Bibles. And I learned to bring my Bible to church because of Miss Charlotte and the, the promise of bubblegum. And, and there was this poster that was, that was on, hung on the, the wall of Miss Charlotte's classroom. And, and during the, the class, when my mind would wander, I would be drawn to this poster. And this poster was this beautiful picture of a cartoon meadow and written in the bright, beautiful sky, for I know the plans I have for you. And there was this cartoon deer and a cartoon duck that were looking at me, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, and a cartoon squirrel and a cartoon bird, plans to give you a hope and a future. And that's where they were. They were all smiling at me in their cartoon world, and I knew instinctively that's where I belonged. In fact, I would bet you dollars to donuts if you went to the University Church of Christ in Denver, Colorado right now, that poster is still hanging on that fourth and fifth grade Bible classroom. And so during Mrs. Charlotte's class, I would imagine myself in that meadow. I would imagine myself in that meadow with the smiling deer and the smiling duck and the smiling bird and the smiling squirrel. And I would imagine myself playing in that meadow. I would imagine myself skipping in that meadow through. And I thought, that's where I belong. 
That's the plan that God has for me. And it's difficult for me to confess that as I've grown older, and that meadow has become much more sophisticated, I'm not sure the meaning has changed. I think there's a part of me that still kind of thinks of that same simple, easy existence is what God has called me to. But that's not really the context of the letter. And you can go home and read chapter 29 in its, in its entirety this afternoon and see what I mean. This verse is part of a letter that Jeremiah is writing to the leaders of Israel as they begin the Babylonian exile. And apparently there's these competing prophets the, during Jeremiah's age, during his time of service. And they were th saying things like, yeah, you're going to go into exile, but don't worry about it. It'll only be a few years. Then you will get to go home. And Jeremiah has to say, no, at least that's not what God is telling me. He writes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to, the, uh, to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have, marry, uh, and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also pray for the peace and the prosperity of the city which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Don't let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for you in Babylon, I will come to you and I will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place, to Israel. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Think about that letter for a minute. Buy a house, plant a garden, Settle down. Go ahead and marry off your kids. And, and imagine how hard it would be to pray for the peace of the city that carried everything away that you knew and loved. Israel is going to be in Babylon for 70 years, and you can do the math. I'm, I'm 45. That means I'm not coming back to Israel. Nearly all the people Jeremiah is writing to are going to die in exile. They're not coming back home. Their kids or maybe their grandkids, they might get to see Israel again. And it's in the midst of this sort of exile, this sort of context, that God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans for your hope and a future. God is saying, I have a plan for you, but it's not for you. It's for your kids. And it's for your grandkids. And exile for Israel at first was an unimaginable loss. The, the land that God had promised Abraham was gone. The temple that David had dreamed as a house for his God was gone. The sovereignty of being a nation is gone. And losing these three things is tragic. But in the midst of this pile of ashes, God begins to do something new. Because the loss of the temple made us begin to ask the question, where is the presence of God really? Is it in Jerusalem or is it in my heart? The question of having all the accoutrement of power and sovereignty stripped away helps us realize how addicted we are to these things. Rather than finding the power, uh, finding, rather than the power we find in the purpose of serving. 
Have you ever had one of those nights when the Wi-Fi goes down and you actually have to talk to your roommates? Man, there's something beautiful about that moment. Or the power goes completely out and you have to make do for dinner with candles and flashlights. I got to tell you the truth. It's those nights when the power went out that I remember most clearly of my childhood. It's sometimes when everything gets stripped away that we realize what really matters. Or more seriously, it's the accident. It's the call at 2 a.m. It's the pink slip from a boss and suddenly all the frivolity of life drops away and the core of what truly matters is revealed. Here's the thing that I love about this church. We don't play church at Highland. We don't, we don't have the margin to play church at Highland. Who is the person that's in your life? Who's the person that has your back? I, I, I remember standing in a prayer circle with 30 elders in the parking lot of Hendricks praying for our people who were inside because we couldn't sit at their beds. And I remember going to pray for those in surgery and 10 people from Highland had beat me there already. I remember that we were carefully determining our restore the world values to serve the least of these in the most difficult social environments in the world. And I think we're getting closer and closer to what it looks like as if we lived as exiles with holy reverence. Because God has a plan for you, but it's not for you. And this is how I think it plays out for us here at Highland. This is how I think we're going to live together if we're going to live through our exile. That if you're going to teach, you should go teach. You could go to some great schools, and I think you would have an amazing time. But instead of charging, char, choosing that suburban campus, I want you to think about the Title I school, where you are going to be the best or maybe the only meal those kids are going to get in the cafeteria. And it might be a little more stress, but you are going to have a chance to love those kids in the name of Jesus. And so go to the hard places and shine because God has a plan for you, but it's not for you. Or if you're going to go into nursing or, or become a doctor, you're going to have so much school debt, man. But spend some time in Doctors Without Borders. Go to places like Haiti or rural India that provide basic care there that people desperately need. And do it in the name of Jesus, because God has a plan for you, but it's not for you. I want to tell you the story of Damar in Berkeley. He was a friend of mine in California. He grew up in the shadow of the housing projects in Dallas. But when I met him, he was a lawyer working um, corporate law at Google. I don't know if you remember the case where Google was suing Uber over intellectual property. Um, that was a big deal in Silicon Valley in the day. He was the second chair of that $450 million lawsuit. You want to talk about a guy that had to, had to learn how to thrive in two very different worlds. And I had the, the joy of going to church with this man. Brilliant and kind. And in the wake of the Ferguson riots, 
He was concerned about the disparity in the conversations that he was hearing between his white friends at work and his black friends at home. So rather than ignore the tension, he and his wife began to bring those two groups together, those friends together, over lasagna and coffee in their living room. Not to solve the complex problems of race in America, but to talk and to listen. And he was in this place where uh, one of my friends, Jordan, he was a, a vice president at Netflix. He was in charge of choosing which shows get canceled, which is a really popular job, let me tell you. But he told me the story. This man makes over a half million dollars a year. He told me the story of sitting cuffed on a curb with his sons in the car for no other reason than he was black. And I realized in that moment that his life and my life are very different. And Damarin chose to have those conversations over lasagna and coffee, even though people said so many dumb things in that room, ignorant things, hurtful things. Because Damarin knew the truth, that God had a plan for him, but it wasn't for him. And you don't have to go overseas to be an alien missionary. One of my neighbors in California, I told you, he had never heard the story of the Good Samaritan. It wasn't the one who grew up in the Xinjiang, Zhejiang, I can't say it, Zhejiang, I can't do it, Zhejiang province, but the one who sold used cars and lived in San Jose his whole life. That was the one I told the story to. The mission field that God is calling you to may be right next door. Because God has a plan for you. But it's, it's not for you. You may feel like an exile. Because your faith is hurting. And it seems like deconstruction is the best option. And if that's where you are, you need to know that God hasn't forgotten you. He didn't abandon Israel in Babylon and he won't abandon you. The faithful have been doing deconstruction for thousands of years. Christianity is old, and this is a feature, not a bug, because faith has endured through innumerable circumstance and philosophy and culture. And so Peter uses this constellation of words here, stranger, alien, exile, sojourner, but my favorite that he uses in 1 Peter is pilgrim, because that word sets what we are doing in a whole new reality. It refrains everything that we're doing. We can see what God is doing in the world, what looks like a remnant of a failed kingdom wandering in ruined halls. If we have the eyes to see and hear, this is the outpost of what God is doing in the new world. And we are the first witnesses of his love to a new mission field. So I want to ask you the question today. What if, what if God is calling you to plant the seeds and join the kingdom that is unfolding all around us? And I want to call us to the kind of courageous imagination to be a cruciform church, a church that's shaped like Jesus, a, a, a church that's shaped by the cross, the kind of church that won't just bless people like you, but people who are very different than you. I believe it is time for us to imagine the kind of church that will speak the gospel in a powerful way to your grandchildren. And we need to become that sort of church now. And it's going to be difficult. That kind of effort is going to take persistent courage. 
But here's the thing about Highland. We've been doing difficult things for almost 100 years. We have faithfully take, took, take, tooken, taken, whatever. <laughs> Nothing derails a sermon like a grammatical error. Um, we have faithfully taken the last, the next faithful step over and over. We've listened to the Spirit of God and we've stepped boldly into a future that we don't understand. So what if we took our cruciform witness seriously? Because I don't believe that God is done with us. I don't believe that God is done with Highland. I believe there is a future for Highland that we would not believe if God revealed it to us today. I believe that God is not done with you. I believe if you're feeling tired or you're feeling worn out or you're feeling beat up right now, you need to hear that God is not done with you. God has a plan for you. And as we enter into this season of Advent as exiles and, angel, and aliens, God has a plan filled with hope that is a glorious future. God has a plan for you. But it may not be Will you please stand for our benediction? We are but pilgrims seeking a city that we have not visited. And a place that we imagine, if we thought about it, is probably pretty strange, but once we arrive, it will feel more like home than any other place we've lived in our entire lives. So may you be bold and full of courage. May you serve those around you with love and dignity and kindness. Be full of God's joy and go in peace.